welcome back to Influx. I'm Amadeus, your co-host. By the time this airs, we'll be at the start of our fall quarter, so welcome back, everybody. Before we dive into the episode, make sure to follow our Instagram, at SCADflux, to see upcoming events, workshops, activities, and more. And join our Discord to stay in the know. Today, we have an incredible guest to kick off the quarter, Catherine Aurelio. Senior of Product Design Management in the Central Privacy Sector of Meta. Catherine has held product design leadership roles throughout her career, including companies Apogee, Looker, and Corsia. An early pioneer of gamification, Catherine helped change the way we interact with our products and our services, and even gave a TED Talk on gamification in 2011. You don't want to miss this episode. We have a unique opportunity to listen and dive deep with an industry expert. So, without further ado, let's welcome Catherine Aurelio. So let's get into it. Thank you again, Catherine, for joining us on to the podcast. It was really fascinating researching your background. Uh, but for those who don't know you, who you are, can you tell us about like who you are? How are you, where you are, and what has been the career journey that's put you where you are today? Sure. Yeah, so um, my name is Catherine. I am a product design leader, and I've been, uh, I've, I've had a sort of interesting uh, career trajectory. I didn't start out as a product designer, actually. Um, I, I started out as an advertising major and uh, I went to the school of visual arts in New York and I thought I was going to get a degree in advertising and that I was going to be a graphic designer and make amazing ads for a giant ad agency. And, you know, it was a different world. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't, um, I didn't stay at the school of visual arts for very long. I ended up moving away from New York. I just really didn't love the city. And I moved um, out west to where my dad lived in Arizona. And I went to Arizona State University. I'd always been interested in photography. I went there and I got a, uh, my bachelor's degree in uh, fine art photography. And so I kind of like kicked around for a while trying to decide what I was going to do with my career. And I didn't really want to do commercial photography. And, you know, it's hard to make a living uh, as a fine art photographer who is like doing social commentary on landscape use in Phoenix. So I had choices, you know, I could either continue going to school or, or figure out my career. And so I ended up actually coming back to, to advertising and, um, and graphic design. And I made a portfolio and I did a bunch of interviews and I, you know, was looking for jobs and whatever. And I ended up actually getting a, a job as a junior designer at, a, at an ad agency in Monterey, California. And so that's actually how I got to the central coast. So I came for that job and stayed for several others, ended up working for myself for a while. I, in, when I was working in the ad industry, in Monterey and Santa Cruz, a lot of the work is packaging design and lots of salad bags and like produce things. So I did a lot of that. And that maybe it was sort of like the first entry that I had into, into product design, because those, when you think about anything that's three-dimensional and it's going into a space and it needs to live in a place like that, uh, you know, shelves, refrigerated sections right it needs to get in a box and then the box needs to ship and then the things need to be stored and then they need to be displayed and so there's like all this thinking that has to go into not just the package itself but like the entire process of um of of making the the package work so i did that for a a while went out on my own then fast forward several years. And I had some clients, I was kind of bored actually in my career. I had been doing the same thing for a long time and I had started to get a little bit bored, but I had a good, like, uh, I went out on my own and I had a good sort of, you know, 
portfolio of, of clients. My wife at the time decided she wanted to go to nursing school. And, you know, between the two of us, we decided, well, somebody's got to have a job. Otherwise, we want to have health insurance. So I actually ended up taking a job with one of my clients. And that, that client was actually a tech client. And prior to this, I had sort of heard about user experience design, you know, and I thought, man, because I was doing tons of websites at the time, like that was, that was the thing of the moment was web, website design. So I was doing website after website after website after website. And I was like, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Like they're going to figure out how to automate this. And I had heard about user experience design and I was like, I should probably learn more about what that is. And so I kind of like got into it and started to figure it out. And then I took a job at Bunchball and that was, um, that was my first like user experience design um, job. And I, I loved it because I, I got to, I got to help people understand what gamification was by redesigning their websites essentially to include gamification elements. And so that was really cool. So I was still doing website stuff, but it was like websites with like personalized experience that was sort of baked into the site. And, and that was super interesting. I mean, at the time it was really, really revolutionary that like you would have some kind of a personalized, like logged in experience like that that wasn't well, it wasn't the norm for websites, right. um, but it generated a lot of interest from people for a lot of reasons, right? They, they mm-hmm. spent more time on the sites as a result of having personalized experiences. So that was good for businesses and so on. So I worked for, for Bunchball for a while. And then I moved on to another one of my clients, um, which was Apogee where I met, uh, where I met Robert and, um, and I was there for a while and I, I redesigned their product. They were an API management company. And at the time, again, no one knew what APIs were. I was forever explaining like what an API was. Um, and so I did, I, I, I created their whole um, interface, which meant that I had to understand like what an API was, how it worked, how the like the journey of a call and like how how that worked what happened along each step of that journey of the call and how might you like actually visualize what that looked like so that developers could understand where where pieces of the call might be broken um, or like where they could actually add functionality um, into the API so that that was something that you could visualize as well as like seeing code so I worked there for a while. Um, then I moved to to Looker, and and actually at that time, so when I was at at Apogee is really when I moved into um, leading teams. So prior to Apogee, I was a individual contributor, just doing the design work myself. And when I got to Apogee, I thought, well, if I'm going to keep moving up in this business, I'd better I'd better become a manager because that's <laughs> right that's what progress looks like. So I became a manager. I didn't know if I was going to like it or not, but, um, but I thought that was really the only way to advance. And at the time it, it was, so that was, that was how you sort of had to move up. Um, so I moved into being a manager from there. I went to a company called Looker, which, which made another enterprise company. They made a, um, basically a data modeling language, and, uh, and that data modeling language had like a front end. So you could model these huge, huge, huge sets of data. Um, and, and then you could, uh, you could create dashboards and like you could actually install Looker, right, in a business to sort of like understand the business's data. And then you could create dashboards and all of that. So I, um, I sort of worked on, mostly the front end experience of like the customer facing experience for Looker, but I worked on all of it and I built their team. So that was like the first time where when I was at Apogee, I was kind of like feeling my way through management. By the time I got to Looker, I had 
hired some people. I had had to go through the hard, the hard moments of letting people go. I had like started to think about the difference between being an individual contributor and being a manager and like what that meant. Um, and so when I went to Looker, I, I went specifically to build their design team because they didn't have one and they had a product, but they had no designers. And they were like, you know, we just realized now that design's kind of important. So I, I went and I helped them build their team. I stayed there, I think for about two years and then, you know, decided, Hey, I've been in this like enterprise world for long enough. Now I want to go back into consumer. Uh, but I want to stay in products, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to go back out into the 3D world of like package design or um, graphic design. So I, I took a job at Coursera, which is an online education company. And there, you know, I got to, I got to work on um, the enterprise instances of Coursera, which is still the front end really, but like, you know, packaging up um, packages of, courses for for enterprises that wanted to upskill their their customer base or you know in the case of France everyone <laughs> so like um you know it was it was cool i i loved that job but in the middle of being there they they completely reorganized themselves they got a new ceo like all of the leadership team just like you know just scattered right and, <laughs> um and Facebook, Meta, now mm-hmm. Meta, uh, Facebook like took incredible advantage of that moment. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and, and they came in and, and they snatched up several of us, and uh, and um, and we ended up going over to to Facebook. So I think there were like three or four people who ended up going over there. But it was really interesting because it all happened at the same time, and we were all like, "Oh, I have something I have to tell you." You know, it's like, "Oh." you're going there too. Okay, cool. So, uh, so then I went to book and I've, I've, I've been, um, uh, there now for a little over four years and still like building teams, building and managing design teams. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole other level now being at Meta. The scale is like unbelievable, you know, the quality of people, really amazing you know so there's there's all these really positive pieces of the experience of being there that I really really enjoy and I feel also like I've kind of hit my stride as um as a manager of people as opposed to a person like a maker of things I still have that understanding of like what that feels like and I understand like what good design is. I understand what quality design is, but I, I have lost, I have made peace with the fact that I, Figma confuses me. Really? <laughs> hey, I guess it's not for everyone. I mean, understood, but that's. Love it. Love it. Wow. If I use it every day, I would, I would be okay. But you know, I don't, I, I go once in a while and try and like cruise around in it I look at things in there all the time um but but if I if you asked me to to you know design a product in Figma right now it would take me four times as long as it would take anyone on my team understood yeah (laughs) I I could definitely agree with that I would say the the amount of software that's been pushed out for the design world has been incredibly fast but I mean it took me some time to get used to Figma and to jump from all Adobe products to, to this new ground. It's it's definitely something. Um, I'm even now dappling in HTML and CSS and going through a bootcamp and then realizing there are millions of other resources that, that can make my life much easier with web development and design, but oh my God, the amount of sensory overload that you have to take in first is a lot, but it's, I mean, it's part of being a designer. It's a digital canvas that you work on and it's so extensive, <laughs> no doubt. It is. And, and what's, what's interesting about that actually is how the, how the software has changed, you know, like the first um, sort of instances of, and I, there's still like some pieces of this, obviously in Adobe products, but like, you know, when we were, 
the, the first instances of digital products that allowed you to do things like page layouts and so forth, like they were really based on, you know, actual like artboards, you know, like all the tools were right. like the same things that you would use to like do like a mock-up in, in real life, you know? Yeah. And now the, the tools, they, they still have elements of that, right? Like Figma has like, you know, there's, there's sticky notes and fig jam and like all sorts of, you know, yeah. like real life things, but it started to, the, the tools have started to move away from trying to mimic things that are in real life and have started to take advantage of like the digital landscape, you know, Figma, you can work on files together now, right? Like that's awesome. Um, some of the tools are far less, I mean, Figma has just like far less tools than any Adobe product, right? There's, there's not a whole lot of like individual tools inside of Figma. They've just like, they've pared it down to exactly what they know people are going to need when they're designing, you know, online experiences. So it's, it's, it's fascinating how things are continuing to evolve. Yeah. And for you as a team leader, you were talking about how um, mock-ups and like wireframes, they went from this physical layout uh, to more of a digital uh, aspect. <laughs> so you've probably seen the transition and experienced the transition over your, over your career path, I bet. Have you, what is your, I guess, opinion on that? Like, do you, when you're working with your team, do you like still focusing on if you can get your hand on uh, like physical wireframes, doing everything physically before you start tackling it? Oh yeah. That's a good question. So I am actually kind of a big fan of, of encouraging teams to just start even with the flows just start on paper, even on a whiteboard, just anything but in digital world. The, I, I believe that there is just a different relationship that you have with a pencil and a piece of paper. Absolutely. A, a digital uh, canvas. Um, and so I just feel like when, when you ha- allow your brain the moment to switch uh, into just being able to draw something out, you know, and with your hands, like it, it allows like a, a, a different level of creativity. It might, it might allow you to think of moving a person through an experience in a different way. It also feels a lot less final. So, um, people feel more willing to fail at right. like, Oh, this flow doesn't work. Okay, cool. You know, just, you throw that away or you erase it or like whatever. But when you're in the world of like in the digital landscape, you know, every square is perfect. Every circle is, you know, exact, right. The type is right. Good. Right. Color is solid. So you don't end up, you don't end up feeling as comfortable with like, now nah, that doesn't work. I'm just going to scrap the whole thing. So I do encourage people to do that. I will also say though, that it's very hard it's probably one of, there's, there's a lot of things, but this is one of the struggles that I have with design teams. Um, not, not just at Meta, but, but everywhere is if you've got design systems that you're using for, for products, designers will start with those systems and, and that's cool, but they're starting at a fixed design already. And then they're working to like shift that design usually, as opposed to, thinking about just the user flow, like what does the user flow need to be in order to solve the problem as opposed to what can the user flow be based on the tools that I have. And that's a, those are very different questions. And right, often, absolutely. Cause we're trying to solve problems fast. You know, we just go to the tools we have and we, and we try and move through it that way and make like component shifts rather than like wholesale change. Um, but yeah, I think that's a challenge for sure. I could definitely agree with that. Um, one of the frustrating things when I first entered college 
what was frustrating for me was being put into drawing classes before I ever touched um, graphic design or before I ever started tapping into Figma. And then I would always question myself, why do I have to do this? You know, why do I have to go through this extensive process? I'm not going to do art until I started realizing how uh, confident I am now to break away and how appreciative I am to learn these drawing tools um, because both my hobby and my career are digital. You know, I love playing in Figma and I also love doing web development for, uh, for people. And currently my internship is just very, very digital. Um, but I like, I like to step away and to do that. You're, you're setting a barrier between, um, between your creative process. And that's, I feel like it also enables a better connection between you and your teammates. You're more willing to fail um, because you're not back. You're not backspacing. You're not control Z, control Z every five seconds. And what you're saying about the user flow process. Absolutely. You have the tendency when you're not focusing on the objects and the tools you have, you have the tendency to just focus on the, the small things. But when you start focusing on other mediums, you start seeing things from a a different lens and from outside the box uh, when you're capable of saying, let's get rid of these tools and start like putting things into quadrants or boxes or however you want to see it and piece it back together when we seem fit. I don't know if you agree <laughs> with that or contribute yeah. to that, but I, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just, I, I just think it's so important to be able to work in a variety of mediums and like, you you know the the classic like being sort of classically trained even if you're not like i am i am no, not at all excellent with like my freehand drawing is is not all that but you don't have to be you know really there's i can't remember where i saw it there was like some someone who did like there's like only seven things that you need to know how to draw to do like all user experience. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like people are always the same. Like, you know, there's, you know, buttons are the same. Like there's, I, I can't remember. I'll have to see if I can find it. I'll send it to you if I can find it. But it That's was funny. It was really great because the, the whole point was to make cross-functional partners like engineers or product managers feel more comfortable to participate in the like user flow process or like thinking about um, user problems so that, so that they, when you had design sprints, they didn't feel intimidated. Like, well, I can't join the designers. I'll never be able to do anything. And so like, like, like quick guide for like the only things you need to know to draw to do user experience flows. And it was fantastic. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. So yeah. Oh my goodness. So before we kind of get into more questions, I know some people are probably going to think uh, or ask me why I have a product designer on a UX-based uh, podcast, but I want to break the assumptions that um, UX design and product design are not so different. In fact, my view on what, uh, at least what I believe product design and UX design look like is UX design, while it's not focused on the tidbits, it's focused on the usability and the functionality, whereas product design is looking at the overall and is managing the overall design process. Both have their roles uh, and both have, you know, where they want to focus working on. However, some people can even argue that UX design and product design can even be interchangeable. What do you think? So I actually view them as, as, um, before I answer that, I, I'll mm-hmm. say it. I think that actually it, it depends on, on the focus of the work, right? In, in my case, user experience can be like folded into product design because we look at it as, as like a holistic thing. The user right. is, a part of the entire product design. And it also includes product thinking and visual design and interaction design. And like the, the designers at Meta need to be 
you know, experts in all of those areas um, as opposed to, to just one. So, and then there's other places where, you know, the user experience flows are incredibly complex and maybe you have user experience departments that are separate from visual design and, and sometimes even from interaction design. Um, but, but generally speaking, like I think of them as a holistic set, but that's probably because of the um, area of focus that I'm in, you know, which is like digital consumer products. Um, right. And <laughs> I think they probably be packaged up more neatly um, in that, in that uh, sector of the design industry. Um, and I think user experience generally is like more broad even right than product design you could just sort of say product design is like a part of uh of of the larger fields perhaps yeah they're both umbrella terms if if that's like a best way to put it with everything beneath it um which makes it so amazing I'd say is I'm I'm someone personally who does not like to be in a factory and just stamp and go, stamp and go for the rest of my life. I love versatility. It's why I got into UX design. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's why I was very inspired by my father who did product design uh, or product marketing. But we we both kind of connected at that point. And uh, I, yeah, I just love that, um, especially probably you as as a team leader, while your role is more stabilized, it's still, it's still versatile. You'd probably agree. Um, it's, you're getting new content with every new project. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, that's, that's like entering a new, I don't know. It's like getting a new breath, like fresh breath of air for me where, you know, I can't, I can't just be pushing out logos 24 seven. Um, that's why I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is really interesting. It's like every problem is different, you know, and, um, every user problem is different. You know, they're not, they're not the same. I, I actually, I don't think there's, there are really, you know, I can't think of any problems that I've solved in the recent past that aren't like very different from each other. Right. They thematically similar, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, um, in the same space, perhaps, but but the problems themselves, the user problems, are are always very different, um, and and it also depends, you know, in terms of how you're solving the problem, like the lens that or the lenses that like uh, sit on top of the problem. So yeah, it's it is a field that is sort of ever changing, and I also like too that the landscape is also always evolving which is really nice. So, you know, you're, you're really never in a, in a, you know, stamp it and go world, um, you know, cause everything is, everything is constantly evolving. I bet. And with, again, your leadership role, how have you managed? Cause not only is just the landscape evolving, but so are your teams and so are mm-hmm. the people that you're working with and mm-hmm. you as a, you as a management role, probably have to also change with that. So could you maybe explain how you best find yourself adjusting and adapting to your leadership roles um, and how you just make sure a team works and sticks well? Yeah, that's a good question. So I try and look at teams very holistically, you know, so if I have like five people, but I need six, then what I'm looking for is like, well, what are the five people doing? Um, what are they, what, what is each person really good at and, and, or passionate about? And where, where do I need their focus? And then where is the gap? Right. It's like you have to look at this like sort of whole spectrum to understand how to build a team and essentially find the the places that either where you're like, oh, if I hire if I hire this person or I put this person in this role, it will complement this other person. 
or it will help to fill a gap that we we need to fill in terms of like either talent or focus or interest or there's there's like a, a a number of different combinations to consider when you're when you're building teams in that way um you know seniority along with focus and interest and um and and so on so i think there's just a, a number of different ways to look at that and then in terms of the teams themselves i i try to focus on a few things like what what are the problems the product problems that sit inside of my space and then how am i going to enable my teams to solve those problems by ensuring that i'm pairing the person like with the right problem you don't want to put someone who's like not interested in um in complex, like really, really complicated, um, you know, across the company, uh, inside and outside of the company, like lots and lots and lots of, uh, of, of interactions, right. And negotiations, like you don't want to put someone who is like very introspective and likes to dive deep into a problem. You don't want to put that person on that problem <laughs> like that would just be mean or or if you if you do you need to be prepared to actually really support that person so it means that you have to they one they have to be interested and willing and two you have to be really supportive of of the person so that you're I was able about to- to, yeah I was about to say how do you know the line between um pushing someone to go outside their barriers to grow and learn versus uh them just you know, not, not wanting to throw them into immediately into the deep end. Well, a lot of it is just having the conversations, right. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot, a lot of it is really thinking about like, gosh, do I really think that this person, like, does this, does this problem actually really match with what this person wants to do or what this person is very good at? Um, And, and if it's like the interest mapping is there but the skill mapping isn't a hundred percent there then you have to make the determinations about like well how can i support this person sometimes it's directly you know because you might very often you're putting people into situations where they have to grow that's how we do grow you 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 put you never you know i mean you can you can keep putting yourself in situations where you're like yeah i can kill it doing that you know and uh, but the chances that you're continuing to grow are smaller than if you're pushing yourself in an area where you're unsure and, and you can push yourself in areas where you're unsure. It's, it's easier when you're supported by someone. And so that's the role that I see myself playing is like that support mechanism. So I'm, I'm helping them somehow it's either directly or indirectly. And if it's indirect, Sometimes I'm actually pairing designers together, one more senior designer with one more junior designer, giving the opportunity for the more senior designer to have like mentorship and leadership um, growth opportunities and the more junior designer to have like the opportunity to learn from someone else, grow into a space that maybe is not familiar. You know, so there's like, there's all these different ways to put that together. Right. Um, and I would say with, uh, with new designers coming Mm -hmm. to this world, what I see what's been happening is this, I I do love that we're, that we're starting to get into this mentality where designers and just artists, or uh, especially just in the tech industry, uh, people want to make like versify their their talents so you're not just a designer but you know all these other things but sometimes at least for our generation I see it with millennials I see it with gen z's they kind of want to do everything Mm -hmm. and you're starting to get this wide smorgasbord of talents that are starting to range and then you don't really see a clear definition of what they want to do and this can apply to projects too where this person is a UX designer or a product designer, but they want to do so many different things within it. They want to, because they just want to build, they want to advance. They want to be that triple threat. Yeah. 
but they're not focusing on that one skill that that stands out for um, for a company that makes them, you know, that UX designer. Do you see that sometimes with people coming in or just around you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think that actually this is a this is a, a perhaps a common problem for 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 everyone, right? Because right. like if you look around you know, at, at any like product, like landscape, let, right. There's going to be yeah. a number of different problems to solve. Now let's just say you pick one. Well, obviously that problem has a lot of different solution parts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can actually make it even more complicated. <laughs> like you can find ways to like cascade the problem into yeah. <laughs> like literally untouchable because it's so huge. So like one of the, one of the things that I, I try to encourage people to do, and sometimes you have to, for, for more junior folks, you actually really have to, to do it for them such that they can see how it's done. And then they learn to do it themselves. But like, you have to send, you have to set the goal, the, the posts, the fence posts around the property. Right. Right. (laughs) Otherwise, Otherwise, if you're just like, it's, it's, a, you know, it's the entire West, have fun, go, you know, go do whatever you like, right? As opposed to like, it is a farm in, you know, Wyoming, and we're gonna just work on the paddock, right? Like, right, you don't want them bonking every corner, you kind of yeah. need to contain that. And I, yep, <laughs> that's definitely right. something you, you see. Right? So, yeah, you don't, you want for people to have clarity on like, what are the edges of the problem? And then how am I solving it within the center parts? Um, and at, at Meta, we're lucky because we have um, the design function consists of user experience research along with content design and product design. So we, we often sort of like work as a group, but the, you know, user experience, uh, research and, um, and content design are separate functions. So the product designers aren't trying to solve the problem of content design. (laughs) Um, but they, they're, they're not trying to like write their own content. Sometimes they do it just to like throw it in but the content designers really actually are working with the product designers from the start to sort of like figure out like, what is the right flow? What do we need to tell people to do? How do we need to tell them to do it? And then how do we know we're doing the right thing? And sometimes how do we know we're solving the right problem, which is where research sort of um, fits in. But yeah, we, we work as a unit at, at Meta on everything. I love that. Hey, mm-hmm. that's how you should go <laughs> about it. Um, so let's try and, I guess, go back to your title. You work specifically within privacy division. Mm-hmm. My my understanding, or not even understanding, my question is how does design and marketing, how do they correlate with privacy? Yeah, so... So marketing, so take marketing, I mean, marketing is certainly always a part of everything, but it's not a part of the product design, like cycle. It, mm-hmm. it Marketing is um, a related but separate part. So uh, in the, in the prize, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> no, I can... I would say just how do you approach privacy as a product designer oh, or a product marketer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see, I see. Sorry. So privacy no, <laughs> general is is an interesting one because it's like it's it's hot topic right now for for good, absolutely for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, think about the core reasons for why, like why is it a hot topic? It. Um, it all actually boils down to data and data use. And remember I was talking about Looker and modeling huge data sets. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the reason that Looker was needed is because of huge data sets. Right. <laughs> like 
basically, you know, for a long time, the internet and products uh, in general have just like been dragnetting the, the universe of data and collecting it and then just only keeping what they need and like throwing the rest back into the internet sea. But they, they, they cast a very wide net. Um, and so it has created this world where people are, they feel unsure about mm-hmm. what companies know about them or how they can, tr- can control what companies know about them or even how they can control their own devices and the apps that sit with, that sit on top of them, right? Like they, they just are worried and rightfully so about how their information is being used. And so, you know, that is the area of meta that I work, which is privacy. And, and there's, there's a difference between privacy and security. Security is really more about like your identity, like who you are, how you protect it, like how you log into things. Like it's a, and and there's other aspects of security too, but just the, the, the differentiator really in my mind at least is that um that privacy regardless of where you are is about data use um and and actually helping people to understand how their data not not all of it because like you can, <laughs> like you're not you're not going to understand all of it but you right. can feel like you understand enough that you you have a sense of like control or agency over, over what's being, what's being done with it. Not all of it though. I mean, that, that is. Um, <laughs> a lot that, overbearing. Yeah. But like <laughs> on challenging it, I, I, I think, but, um, but yeah, you just need to make sure that people know enough to feel like they can, they can um, be in control of the experiences that they want to have. Yeah. So you use the term holistic at least a, a couple of times, but I, I feel like that's also very integral with what you do is holistic. With a lot of big companies, sometimes um, seeing people's privacy versus security, seeing things less analytical at people, less as numbers and more holistically as uh, individuals they are. It's one of the the big things, especially in your division, where you have to to break down the user and understand from their point of view um, and approach things such as that, Um, I guess, through the user's eyes, how they're interacting with the product. Uh, Would you would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I mean, definitely like everything that that uh that i work on or that i have worked on actually in my career right people are always at the center of what we do mm-hmm. always um they have to be um and and that's especially true in the world of privacy you know um you have to be acting from um the the sort of um interest of of people But I think that that's actually just true of product design. Like if you're doing it well, Mm -hmm. you're about what people want to do, why they want to do it, and how to help them understand how to do it in a way that helps them like have a sense of place, understand, like feel confident about the decisions that they've made, right? Like feel like they understand the decisions that they've made. And so like those, those are more like principles of design for me than they are like principles of privacy, you know, Um, because they really apply to any kind of experience. Um, You know, you could, you could really apply them anywhere, but I I think it's true for, for, for all of it. No doubt. (laughs) It's, it's a, yeah, I would agree with you that it's definitely a principle of design. It's something that we should all know. And it's why it's so important to have designers in, in a building, to have people yeah. to stop telling you to look at the numbers and start looking at the person. Uh, and we see that more. We, we're definitely seeing that more now. Um, actually, one of the greatest questions I was asked, like maybe two weeks ago, uh-huh. was someone asked me, um, 
do you believe that we like our age, once we get older, 50, 60 years, we'll understand the technology then? Um, I said, absolutely. That's the, that's what a user experience designer's role is. That's what designers are here for. It's so that we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's right. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think you have to just always be thinking about the experience that you want for people to have and like, and it's going to change. Like it's, it's, it's changing already. Like the, the, the kinds of interactions that we have to, I mean, like this video call is a, as, as an example, right? Like, um, you know, six years ago, this was more of a novelty, you know, right. right? Like we would do it, but like not a lot. Right. And now, you know, conference rooms are, you know, every conference room that you go into has like, you know, really, you know, like video equipment and the ability to like allow people to see each other, regardless of where they are. Like these things have become expectations. I don't even need to be on Wi-Fi to have this like conversation with you. Right. Like these are, they're, they're small things or they seem small when you're, when you're talking about them like this, but like, honestly, they, they are, we are continuing to evolve the way that we think about connecting with each other, the way that we think about interacting with each other and the expectations that we have of the way that our technology works. It's like, I don't know about you, but when (laughs) I was in the car yesterday and I I had, I was trying to look for a place to eat and I had like, I had two bars on my phone and I was, you know, I Googled like, where should I eat? (laughs) It was taking Google too long. Really, I'd only been waiting for about five seconds, but it was too long for (laughs) to come up. And I just thought to myself, I was like, wow, that's something when like you just have gotten to the place where your expectation is that I can do a Google search or I can tell my car to find me a place to go eat. And it will, will just do that for me. And I have that expectation. It's, it's not even, it's, it's not even a novelty anymore. It's just an expectation that my equipment will work in the way that I expect it to, um, to serve a set of purposes that I've come to expect. It's insane. Uh, smart fridges still make me go crazy when I ever, when I go to someone's house that is like a smart home, uh, um, and it, it's just, I personally don't like smart homes because I feel like that's stepping the barrier, but that's smart much. fridges are pretty funny. They are. Well, okay. Here's an interesting thing. This is a user experience problem. A lot of them are very badly designed, especially in the water ice department. Right. Oh, I bet. So like I have, I have been in more than one home where like somebody, I'm like, oh, can I, you know, I need a glass of water and go to get a glass. And, you know, you, you're like, well, oh my, I don't know where to put my glass and you put it in a place and hope for the best and it's the wrong spot. And, and I, I was just in Maryland recently and I did that and I was like trying to like find the place to put my water and I, you know, my glass and I put it in the wrong place. And my friend was like, man, everybody does that. And I was like, yes, this is the thing that requires a designer to get them in there and like fix that experience problem because it happens so much that she knows that no one's ever going to find the water, you know? (laughs) Right. And now add the extra fear factor of having a device attached to it next to a water source where I know I'm going to spray water everywhere, including that screen. That's that's, (laughs) it's just insane. It's mind boggling, but it's crazy. Um, and also including spatial audio. I just got I, the the users or listeners on this podcast can't see, but I'm wearing Sony headphones and they're awesome. I love them, but it gives like I I can't explain the amount of fear spatial audio gives me whenever I put something in and it's the music or sound is too good that I think it's not coming from these headphones. I think it's everyone else can hear it. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> I know that Apple also advertises that too but I get so scared about that (laughs) oh I these and I'm not sure if like I mean they're good but I'm not sure that they're like the same level of like 
spatial audio quality. Uh, but it is amazing. Even that audio quality, video quality, like it's all, it's all changing very, very quickly. This landscape is, is, is always evolving and that's part of what makes it so exciting. And just like we've been talking about, you know, user experience design is becoming more of a requirement because more of what we do like is it, it requires people to understand how to use new technology constantly. Right. You know, I'm in a hotel room and I have like a weird coffee pot that I don't understand. I have to figure out how to use it. it. It's not, it's not like we were talking about like the, you know, rubber stamping of things, right. If you think about coffee pots for a really long time, they just, you know, maybe there was some, you know, <laughs> some differences but mostly it was a pot and a heating mechanism and a thing that sucks water heats it up sucks it up spits it out and throws it for a filter right like that's mostly a coffee pot but now coffee pots have you know digital interfaces timers like you know they're they're either very manual which also requires a lot of user experience <laughs> intuition or they're like very digital and they require a whole different kind of user interaction. And we have to be able to switch between both things. So these user experience challenges that exist in our world today, they're, we are being sort of forced to adapt um, very quickly in this, in, in, in our like very quickly expanding digital landscape. Oh yeah. And I don't have any fear for, let's say, my generation where our, you know, we TikTok is our form of content. You know, now all these other apps, YouTube shorts, uh, Instagram shorts, where everything is five second based, we adapt quickly. It's both a blessing and a curse. The, the same way with your story with Google, I am the same way too. And sometimes I stop myself and I'm like, wow, I'm really dependent on this tiny little voice box that you know, <laughs> waiting for it to load or give me the answer, but it, it makes us start jumping onto new things quicker. It's, it's yeah. really interesting to see how our brains will develop uh, years from now, how uh, electronics will develop years from now. Um, but it's beyond me. You know, I sit and, th- and sit here and think this is definitely the peak of, of technology right now when hell no, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know know what's next, but like, I do think one one thing I think about like the, the, uh, the, the digital age in learning and, and, you know, being able to ask Google anything. Um, First of all, I, 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 um, I have an actual watch um, that I never look at anymore because I do have a smart home and Google lives in it. So anytime I need to know what time it is, what the weather is, what my next appointment is, what, like I can ask Google any question. And so when I go somewhere, like, you know, I'm in this hotel room and I was like, Oh, what time is it? And I was like, oh, I can't ask Google. And then I was like, you're wearing a watch. You're wearing a watch. You know, you can look at watch. So it's, it's very interesting. Like, I think that what what happens as a result, there's two things. We were talking about like this, the ma- the manualness of like actually drawing flows and thinking about it. So there's one thing sort of disconnecting, which I think is interesting and sort of forcing yourself to disconnect. I was thinking about the, the act of using a dictionary, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't know how to spell something or you don't know how to, how to, like, if you just don't have access to the phone for a minute or you put it down and like force yourself not to use it and instead to like go to like a paper dictionary that exists and you like look up the word and it it's it's an interesting it's an interesting contrast and for me I feel like when I actually do that I I remember like I retain the information longer and and at but I also have less information to retain. So like Mm -hmm. in in the world of digital things, when you're talking about the five second experience, think about how many five second experiences we're shoving into our brain every day. And, and we're able to process all of that information. So like, it is, it is fascinating. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, 
it's going to be interesting to see where things are in the, in another. Absolutely. 20. But I Obviously, have no, f- is that like that there's going to be a point at which like mm-hmm. too old for something. And I don't know what <laughs> it's coming. I don't know what it is yet, but it's, it's, it's coming. <laughs> I'm trying to grapple my head around, um, these, uh, like digital clothes you can buy like Gucci or Versace on your virtual reality avatar. I'm like, that's awesome, but I'm not going to wear that in real life. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But some people are gung-ho about it. They love that. Well, that goes full circle back to bunch ball. Mm -hmm. People, you know, um, this is about personalization, you know, and in the digital space, and actually just in regular space, like we, we like to personalize our spaces. I was actually mm-hmm. there yesterday cause I was driving home from work and, um, and I was like, what if every car was a white Tesla? What would the, the, the car landscape be? And I thought, well, first of all, there'd probably be no traffic cause like the Teslas would just drive themselves. And then I was thinking, and then, but people would still personalize them. Right. People still like try it. They dress them up. Even if you, even if everybody got the exact same white Tesla with the exact same interior, like there was no difference in the car that you got, people would still personalize them. And, and so it's interesting that you mentioned the, uh, the like fashion for avatar because like that was actually something that we used to do at Bunchball. We, we had like, uh, some contracts with, um, with like name brands and and you could buy like clothes for your avatar and it was it was kind of a thing people and I thought at the time I was like who would want to do this but now that I actually have I have a, a an avatar I'm like okay oh my god and it and it's it looks very you know it looks similar but very different for me and right and and it's interesting because I'm like okay well I wouldn't wear that in real life but I'll wear it in here because I don't have legs and it's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. It's the, it's the still like connected to the avatar, the way it looks similar, but it's also a different reality. It's the, you're stepping into a different world and adding that level of anonymity yeah. where it's a new you and it's, it's, I'm waiting to see what the world will unleash with these, these different worlds, you know, uh, Maybe one day someone will come up to me and be like, hey, let's exchange Instagrams. And I'll be like, okay. And they're like, no, not your Instagram, your avatar's Instagram, actually. I don't really know about you, but your other character's fashion's fire. Maybe that will come to a day. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a great, there's just a lot of variety in terms of what you can do in the, in the sort of three-dimensional, um, you know, world of avatars and sort of like moving around in digital 3D space, you know, um, and your sense of self and, uh, and all of that. So, I mean, this is a whole other, like, you know, level and area of user experience design that's going to continue to develop. But like a lot of that is like the, the personalization pieces of that, that are just true for humans. Like it's a thing that we like to do. It's how we, mm-hmm we know ourselves from others. And so that's going to, I think, just be a part of, of all of those kinds of experiences, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a great way to close off as well. So as we're wrapping to a close again, you know, I'm going to go to sleep with all these, this intellectually stimulating thoughts. And now I'm going to dream up of my, my avatar and what clothes I'll wear. I'm very maybe Urban Outfitters, maybe just Target. I hope Target does a brand deal. I'm not going to be looking for it too much. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Um, I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Catherine. Yeah. And again, guys, this is Catherine Aurelio, Senior Product Designer. And yeah, this was, this was awesome. I had an amazing time. I hope you did too. <laughs> thank you so much for for uh asking me to be a part of this and um i hope it was helpful for folks and interesting at least and uh you know 
I'm I'm really excited uh, for you and your and your journey in this in this field. It's really exciting. So, thank yay. you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All, All right. right. Goodbye, listeners. <laughs>